Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Buckle up, strap yourself in, and get ready. Welcome to The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. You know that uh, that feeling that you get periodically that you you forgot something you just have forgotten something and it just trails you around and by the end of the day you find it and some days it's not good but I've just had the <laughs> had this feeling for the last while I just forgot something front doors locked stoves turned off windows are closed oh the dogs. Uh, hello everybody, Sunday edition of The Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Imagine being a mom and hearing another mother say to you, you deserve to have your child die. My guest in the next hour is the mother that was sent to, and she's a mother who's decided to not vaccinate her child, and that's why that one person said that to her. This mom is going to tell us why she's not going to vaccinate her child. And she's going to stay to take phone calls. So we want you around for that. There's a lot on the show today, a lot. Uh, Member of Parliament Michelle Rempel is going to be with us. Uh, The private petition that she sponsored and is now on uh, the Government of Canada website, E983. E983. And uh, it's a petition to stop the... uh, the federal government from reducing the numbers of days that the MPs sit weekly to four, and maybe the prime minister's appearance to answer questions from members of parliament to just one day. They, almost 20,000 people have said next to that. Man, that doesn't make any sense. But then it's Ottawa. The Trump administration says no more dollars going to the U.N. Climate Fund It will now collapse as other nations won't be able or will simply refuse to make up the deficit. So what happens to the $2.6 billion Justin Canada's back Trudeau committed to this U.N. fund? Uh, Another Barack Obama signature, moments uh, erased by the new guy. All right. We're going to... uh, We're going to talk about this whole issue of climate change, climate funding, the United States' participation, Canada's participation. And so I just essentially read to you what my conventional wisdom was until about 20 minutes ago. And then 20 minutes ago, I read something that I hadn't seen before, and that is that President Trump may be hedging his bet somewhat on canceling funding for the U.N. Climate Fund. His uh, director of, I think it's budgets, budget office, um, said, look, that funding is over and done with, but is Mr. Trump wavering somewhat, and perhaps because of his daughter and son-in-law's influence? Dr. Timothy Ball is with us. Canadian climatologist, as you well know from this program, his book is Human-Caused Global Warming, The Greatest Deception in History. Also with us, Myron Abel. He's the Director of Global Warming and International Environmental Policy at the Competitive Enterprise Institute and was chosen by President Trump to administer the Environmental Protection Agency during the transition from the Obama government to the Trump administration. Uh, Myron, great to speak with you. Thanks for having me. And, uh, Tim, great to have you back on the show always. 
Well, thank you, Roy. Thanks for the opportunity. Myron, what's the uh, what's the actual truth of the situation? Has Mr. Trump canceled the all U.S. funding for the climate initiative of the United Nations, or or is is he hedging his bets? Uh, well, I think it's uh, uh, during the campaign, President Trump uh, pledged to withdraw from the Paris Climate Treaty and to defund UN climate programs, including the Green Climate Fund. Now. The, the initial budget request uh, from the uh, Trump administration to Congress, it looks to me, they, they haven't filled out all the details, but it looks like they are uh, keeping that promise uh, to defund the various, uh, the Green Climate Fund and other related funds that are part of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. Whether they will defund the entire program, including our something like $12 million a year funding to the U.N. Framework Convention itself. Uh, I'm not sure, and we'll have to see. But but the kicker to all that is it's Congress that appropriates the money, not the administration. So it's up to Congress to decide how far to go in defunding U.N. climate programs. You, uh, you urged President Trump on Friday from a story that I read again earlier today that he should not waver on on this issue of climate funding. No, that's right. I think um, the uh, the commitments that uh, President Trump made during the campaign are very clear on climate and energy, and they're very closely connected. That is to say, you, it's it's a it's a prefix menu. You have to take the whole thing, or problems arise if you try to choose a la carte. So I think um, he needs to uh, to say, I'm going to um, uh, keep all of my commitments. I'm not going to pick and choose. And I think uh, only in that way will we get clear of this uh, uh, nightmare that we've had for the last 20 years of, of international uh, treaty, one, one international agreement after another to spend money on uh, climate change. The uh, former President Obama described AGW, the anthropomorphic, whatever that word is, uh, global warming. <laughs> when I get to the third syllable, I'm stuck. <laughs> Anthro, whatever the rest of it is, uh, global warming as the greatest threat to the world, even more so than ISIS and any other terror group. And that was uh, echoed by uh, John Kerry, the Secretary of State, or former Secretary of State, just recently. How far off base are they uh, on, on this on, on the uh, claim that's made that it's the greatest threat to the world, climate change? Roy, I think uh, Tim is a better uh, judge of that than I am. But I think um, if you look at the kinds of threats that face humanity, uh, global warming uh, is a, a very modest uh, threat. And it looks like it will remain that way as far into the future as we can see. It may provide some challenges if there is some warming. But these are the kinds of challenges that modern technological societies are very good at handling. And so uh, my my view is it's, uh, it's way down on the list. And uh, the other point I would make is that if we wanted, if we believe the theory and we want to solve the problem, the costs of doing so are... Uh, many times more than the possible impacts of the warming. So this is a, a huge cost to the to the 
global economy with very little benefit. Yeah. Tim, uh, just after the Paris conference attended by our government with almost 400 uh, people in that delegation, um, I don't think anybody was left in Ottawa, but uh, right after that, uh, during it, after the uh, conference, I spoke with Dr. Bjorn Lomborg, who, of course, believes in human-induced global warming, but is also a huge skeptic of UN funding programs. And he said on the show that uh, if a trillion dollars is gathered from various global economies and, and, and world governments and put into the UN Climate Fund, the difference it will make to the actual climate on the planet is totally negligible, totally negligible. It's just a waste of a massive amount of money. Well, I, I agree with that. Uh, I'm, I, I pointed out, I think, when I was on with your program before, that Lomborg is a statistician, and that's fine. Um, so I'm, I'm not convinced, and I've read all he's written, that he totally understands the, uh, the climate part of it. Uh, but but uh, the argument that human CO2, which is such a fraction of uh, even the very small amount of CO2 that is the, uh, the gas in the atmosphere that they're talking about, um, is of any significance. In fact, the human contribution to the atmosphere is within the error factor of the measurement of two or three of the natural sources of CO2. Um, so that's one of the problems. Uh, the bigger problem uh, overall is that um, the, all of the forecasts uh, that they've made about, oh, if CO2 increases, the temperature increases, and they've, they've predicted uh, anywhere up to uh, 11 degrees Celsius at one point, um, every single prediction they've made using those computer models uh, has been wrong. And, and of course, and if, the, if one of their predictions was, was right, you could say, well, okay, maybe, but not one single one has been right. And um, as, uh, as it is said in science, if your forecast is wrong, your science is wrong. And that's the difficulty. And, of course, what Lomborg is, is saying is, look, the, the science is pretty questionable. And if you're going to spend trillions of dollars on a problem that you're not really very sure about, um, what, how could you better spend that money? This is what Prime Minister Modi in India has said. And, and so this, this is the, the, the difficulty. The other problem with it is that um, uh, the evidence, both uh, in terms of temperature measurements and in, in the science of what causes climate change, is that uh, the Earth is heading into a cooling trend. And uh, so we might just be uh, in the situation of preparing for warming when, when it's actually cooling. And uh, the final point that I'll make is that it was acknowledged, even by people like David Suzuki and others, and Tom Wigley, who was one of the main architects of the, the whole global warming due to CO2 issue, with the original Kyoto, they admitted that even if the entire Kyoto Protocol was introduced, and that is with the reduction and, of course, the great transfer of wealth, which is what it was really all about, even if the whole Kyoto was introduced, and, and the way I explain it is uh, you introduce the whole Kyoto Protocol, and um, you, you take everybody off the planet and, and then leave one scientist behind to measure the difference, it, she wouldn't be able to measure any difference. Mm -hmm. So in other words, that, that the, all of these plans, even, even with the Paris Climate Agreement, that, that the effect is, is 
absolutely, totally insignificant. And, of course, that's what Lombard is speaking to. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back with Dr. Timothy Ball and uh, Myron Abel from the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And I want to talk uh, a little bit about the EPA and what's changed there or what will be changing in the EPA. Mr. Abel was the head of the EPA for President Trump during the uh, during the uh, transition of administrations. And then we'll talk a little bit about carbon taxes. We're, we're, we're destined for carbon tax in, uh, in Canada. Some people already have it. Others are going to be uh, surprised and happy when they get it. And, uh, and, and what exactly is it going to do for us, particularly when our southern neighbor will absolutely have no carbon tax? None. Zero. That's good for us, I guess. We'll come right back. Compassionate, caring, and cuddly. This is The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green Show, at The Roy Green Show, and tweet us, and we'll read some tweets on the air. Emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Ditto for the emails. Myron Abel is the Director of Global Warming and International Environmental Policy at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. He was the head of the EPA during the administration uh, ch- turnovers, changeovers from uh, Obama to Trump. And uh, with us as well, of course, Dr. Timothy Ball. Canadian climatologist, his book, Human-Caused Global Warming, The Greatest Deception in History. Myron, when you arrived at the EPA representing uh, President Trump, uh, the, the place had a massive budget, a massive bureaucracy, and great power to disrupt people's lives. And I've heard some terrible stories like a pond that forms because of rain suddenly being declared to have environmental uh, properties that had to be saved from the people whose property it was on, just a pond formed by rain that would eventually, when the ground dried, disappear. Um, a staff of some 15,000, and uh, I understand there's going to be some significant staff cuts. What did you encounter, and what was most disturbing about the EPA? Uh, Roy, I should clarify, I was head of the transition team. I was never actually in charge of the EPA. I see, Okay. Uh, uh, so what I what I discovered when we went in to do interviews is uh, that we have an agency here in the United States that is very committed to an agenda. They are, uh, you know, they are supposed to be objective civil servants who carry out the uh, the policies of the elected leaders of the country, but in fact they have their own agenda. Uh, and uh, they are, uh, you know, pretty pretty uniformly committed to it. Now, I think uh, you said it has a massive budget. It's it's pretty small in terms of the entire federal budget. It's eight billion dollars a year, but as you said, it has enormous regulatory powers. And so, uh, President Trump said during the campaign he wanted to uh, abolish the EPA or leave a little bit of it, and then he. He modified that or qualified it to say he likes the state, the grants to our states from the federal government to the states, and he likes the idea of devolving powers to the state environmental agencies. Um, and so, I think the first budget that the uh, the White House is sending to the to the Congress calls for a 31 percent cut in the in the in the eight billion dollars. Most of that on the federal side, and it calls for a reduction of employees by 3,200 or over 20% of the total workforce. 
So that's what the administration has asked Congress for. But as I said before, it's up to Congress to, to decide how to spend the money. So we'll see. This is going to be a big fight over the next six to eight months. Yeah, I can imagine. The, not the most popular uh, election victory, Donald Trump's for the EPA. What about this issue of the carbon tax? No carbon tax for the United States. Not going to happen. But Canada, we're going to, we, in some places we already have the carbon tax, other places it is definitely going to arrive, says the Prime Minister, and it will be for the betterment of the country and create hundreds of thousands of exciting green sector jobs. Is, is the carbon tax ever an issue in, in the United States? Uh, well, of course, some of our states uh, have something like carbon tax. I mean, California has a cap-and-trade system. With Quebec and Ontario. Uh, right, right. So um, I, I think what we see in the United States is that uh, the Obama administration was trying to turn the entire country into a model of uh, along, the, along the lines of the California economy uh, with very high energy prices, uh, the middle class moving out, uh, energy intensive industries closing down and moving either to the, to the heartland states like Indiana and Ohio or m- moving overseas to China. Uh, so I think uh, that was the model for Obama. I think President Trump's victory uh, means that the we're, we're going to have a divergent economy, just like I think you do in Canada, where some of, some of our states continue down this path of energy rationing, high energy prices, impoverishing people, and some of the states are now free to pursue uh, an abundant energy future manufacturing is coming back chemical uh, particularly chemicals uh, and uh, higher energy production in places like Texas and North Dakota so I think we're going to have like you do in Canada we're going to have sort of two separate economies mm-hmm. well we certainly uh, well sometimes it seems like we have more than two in this country <laughs> we only have uh, we of course have the uh, thriving and flourishing underground economy T- Tim in about 20 seconds uh, th- th- this whole you know, the often repeated 97, 97.7% of the world's scientists support human-induced global warming position. Just respond to that one more time, please. Well, that was a, a paper published by a, a John Cook in Queensland University in Australia. And uh, when you actually looked at what he had done, um, he, he completely um, misinter- or, or misapplied his own definition of, of scientists that were in support of, of glo- the anthropogenic. Let me let me let me. Uh, you said the word, and I'm going to have practice. Uh, can you stick around, both of you, for a couple of minutes longer? Sure. As I just have a, one yeah. or two more questions I'd like to ask. We'll come back with Myron Abel and with uh, Dr. Timothy Ball on the Green Show. Stay with us. He's like a superhero without the costume. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Here's a tweet from uh, at Uncertain Clever. Uh, Vancouver probably thinks we're going into global cooling. They get told to prepare for SoCal temps and then get a meter of snow. You just never know. You know how it is. You, can, uh, you can't predict the weather for the next 24 hours, but you can predict the climate for the next 100 years. Not quite sure how that works. 
Mario Nobel is the Director of Global Warming and International Environmental Policy at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. He oversaw the transition uh, from the Trump incoming administration to the departing Obama administration for the Environmental Protection Agency. And Dr. Timothy Vall, climatologist, Canadian. His book, Human-Caused Global Warming, The Greatest Deception in History. We tried for a long time to generate a debate between the true believers in, uh, in, in human-induced global warming and uh, uh, Dr. Ball and, and, and a few other people on uh, his side of the argument, even even Elizabeth May, who was uh, then the, I don't know, I can't remember whether she was the president of the Green Party then or not, or just the past president of the Sierra Club. Anyway, Elizabeth May contacted a number of people, a number of scientists on the UN side of the argument, and tried to persuade them to get involved in the debate, but nobody, nobody, nobody would. The uh, people who said no, yeah, they were ready to go immediately. The people who follow the IPCC, we still haven't heard from them, and it's been years. Uh, gentlemen, President Trump has endorsed the Keystone XL pipeline. What else might this president decide to do? Refossil fuels fueling the world as they have for decades. Uh, Myron, I, I guess I'll start with you, and then I'll go directly to Tim for his thoughts, and we'll bring in... Canada and our, and our production capabilities and whether the prime minister of this country seems to see any value for what's going on in the province of Alberta. Myron, what do you say? Uh, Roy, uh, President, President Trump during the campaign uh, said that not only would he uh, see to the very quick permitting of the Keystone Pipeline and the finishing of, the, of another pipeline, the Dakota Access Pipeline, but that he would um, take the actions necessary uh, to remove the impediments that have been placed on energy production and transmission during the Obama administration. Uh, uh, President Obama took credit for uh, the increase in oil and gas production, but of course he did everything he could to slow it down and stop it. it, it the, the shale gas revolution uh, occurred on private land, on federal land in the West and in Alaska and offshore areas. The Obama administration has tried to stop oil and gas production They've tried to slow walk the permitting of pipelines and transmission lines. They've tried to stop and slow walk permitting terminals, coal, coal export terminals, oil and gas, term, oil terminals, and, and LNG terminals. And so uh, President Trump said, we're going to get rid of all that, and we're going to go for uh, much higher energy production. The United States will become the world's energy superpower, and this will change the geopolitical balance. That was the argument of his campaign. And he has already started to take those actions. Tim, keeping that in uh, in perspective and looking at what we're doing in this country, uh, as far as, the, again, the carbon tax is concerned, and uh, I, I'm not quite sure of whether the prime minister's heart is in pipelines or not. I think it's probably an issue of convenience to him, depending on what the political climate of the week is. But what do you make of all of that? Yeah, well, of course, he, he has said that he uh, supports the pipeline and he's prepared to talk to Trump about the NAFTA and so on. But as you said, how much of that is political convenience uh, yeah. because our economy is so tied? But one of the things that I think is very critical in all of this is you see the massive difference between the American form of government and the Canadian form of government uh, with the checks and balances that they had in the U.S. Uh, Obama had this problem that every time he wanted to introduce uh, uh, an energy policy or anything like that, it had to be vetted through Congress. Congress had to pay for it and agree with it. And you see that, for example, 
uh, he could not call the Paris climate uh, uh, a treaty because if it if he did it had to be approved by 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 uh, Congress and he knew that wasn't going to happen so they they called it an agreement and um, and then they had the problem the minute the other countries knew it was an agreement they most many of them were not prepared to sign up on it and um, uh, so they had to make it non-binding so it's really a meaningless thing and and of course one of the things that Myron talked about was the use of bureaucracy to end run the people and the legislative process and uh, this is what's been going on in the US but it is also what happened with the climate issue because Maurice Strong, who set the whole thing up, uh, did it through the World Meteorological Organization, that is, through the bureaucrats in the national weather offices in every country in the world. And, of course, the, the difficulty is that uh, in, in many countries, the bureaucrats are simply not accountable to, to the citizens. It's got to be done through politicians. So uh, what we've seen is a, uh, uh, an abuse of the system and running the people and the people's control of things and, and uh, in order to uh, achieve a, a, an agenda. And sadly, for something on which the science, there is absolutely no scientific support. You know, there's, uh, there's something else here that, uh, that I wanted to bring up. And, and that is U.S. funding, again, the withdrawal to end uh, America's contri- contributions to the climate fund's existence. And I've read it will take three years to decouple from the fund, which Obama committed the United States to, as Tim pointed out, but through executive action. But that another option for President Trump is to pull the United States out of the umbrella U.N. climate organization, the U.N. Framework Convention on Climate Change, or UNFCCC. Uh, which would pull the U.S. out of the climate fund within a year. That could change everything again. Well, yes. Sorry, Marion, just to jump in for a minute. Uh, Maurice Strong set up the UNFCCC, uh, in, uh, and it was part of the um, original Rio conference in, in 1982, and that was when also the, they set up the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change pr- to produce the science that they wanted to prove that C- human CO2 was the problem. Mm-hmm. And they did that by narrowing the definition of climate change to only looking at human causes. And, of course, uh, you can't possibly identify the human cause if you don't know how, what the causes are naturally. And, and so the UNFCCC, yes, if they just pull out from that, that basically uh, brings the whole thing to an end. Yeah. Is that likely to happen, Myron? Uh, there is debate within the administration. Um, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson uh, gives every appearance of going native uh, as soon as he gets here. Uh, he said he wants to stay in uh, the, the Paris Climate Treaty and the underlying U.N. Framework Convention Treaty. Uh, President Trump's daughter and son-in-law, Jared, uh, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner, have said that they want the, uh, their father uh, to stay in the Paris Climate Treaty. Uh, I think there are very powerful forces within the administration that are pushing back. I don't think President, it's, I don't think this argument has come up to the level of President Trump yet, but I expect him to keep his commitments because uh, he has made a big deal out of this. That that, that that the things he said in the campaign, he is going to achieve. So, I, I I'm hopeful that he will not listen to his daughter and son-in-law or to Secretary Tillerson. And he'll say, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. Because, in fact, these are the people who voted for him. That's one of the reasons he won the election, because he had this pro-energy, anti-climate alarm 
agenda, and that's why he won states like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Myron and Bell, Dr. Tim Ball, uh, we'll we'll call on you again as the story develops, but thanks so much. Thank you, Roy. Thank you, Roy. It's The Green Show on the Corliss Radio Network, and my number is 1-800-263-2428. 1-800-263-2428 is the number for you to call, and here's the question I want to ask you. A slightly modified question, because there's now some issue, some question about whether President Trump will actually go through with completely decoupling the United States from the United Nations Climate Fund, as you just heard Meyer and Bell uh, say, because... His daughter, Ivanka, his son-in-law, Jared, I forget his last name now. Anyway, his daughter and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and and Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State and the former CEO of um, ExxonMobil. So they want him to stay in. 1-800-263-2428. 1-800-263-2428. Would the world be better served? And remember that the Obama administration said climate change is the greatest crisis the planet faces, far more so than ISIS. Uh, Is the world better served if we get out of the UN climate plan or if it continues as set down to continue through the Obama administration and the UN? Would we be better? Is the world better off? If the U.N. climate plan just disintegrates, goes away, uh, fails to uh, proceed because the Americans are taking the money out of it, or do we need the U.N. climate plan in order to save the planet? 1-800-263-2428. Give me a call. Let me know what you think.